Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hi, good morning. We're uh, in a series called Promised Land. And I don't know why I'm this way. I think I'm just very competitive by nature. And so I always try to figure out what's the biggest message of a series. So I was getting ready to leave for the four o'clock service last, last evening. And I told Mary Alice, I don't know if this is the biggest message or not, but it's definitely the most fun to preach. So uh, I, this is my, well, I guess my third time this weekend to bring this talk. And I can't wait to do it one more time. Our series is called Promised Land. And if you really want to know uh, at at length what it's about, you can check out some of the earlier sermons, but let me just give you what we used to call the cliff note version when I was in college. This series is about us leaving the wilderness of just things not going well and moving into the full destiny that God has for our lives. So when we use the term promised land here, we're not talking about heaven. In fact, the promised land of the Israelites leaving Egypt and going to Canaan the promised land is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of being where God wants us to be in life. And so since the Bible uses that as an illustration, we want to learn from what happened in the Exodus. And we want to learn why a whole generation, instead of going into the promised land, had to wander in circles in a desert for 40 years. And then we also want to look at that new generation that went into the promised land. So that's what this series is about. And I hope that each week as we go through this series, you and I are learning more about how to journey into the full destiny that God has for each one of us. But today I wanna to take a little bit of time to just talk about a misconception that could develop, well, in our lives today, and very definitely it happened back in Bible times. A lot of us, when we look back on the history of the Exodus, when we read about Moses and the Israelites leaving Egypt and going into, the, into Canaan, we can, if we're not careful, develop this misconception. It goes like this. God loved the Jews because they were Jews. He wanted to help them. He hated the Egyptians because they were the Egyptians and he wanted to destroy them. I think there's this sense of insider versus outsider. And of course, that was, those were the two people groups back then. But even today, we can get into this idea of these people are insiders, these people are outsiders. It can be a racial thing. It can be a cultural thing. It can be a political thing. But if we're not careful, those of us who are Christ followers, we can almost develop a kind of um, silo and say, we are the people that know God and there are people on the outside who don't know God. Well, if a person has the idea that God loved the Israelites because they were Israelites and hated the Egyptians because they were Egyptians, there are a couple of big problems with that. First of all, I mean, God did not want to destroy the Egyptians. I mean, God gave Pharaoh 10 soft pitches. I mean, God, this was God's way of saying to Pharaoh, let's do this the easy way. In fact, that first opportunity they gave them wasn't even attached to a plague. Moses went into Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. If Pharaoh had said, yes, I'll let the people go, God would have blessed Israel. I believe God would have blessed Pharaoh. I think he would have blessed Egypt for that. So God was trying to do that the easy way. But there's a second reason, there's another part of the story that I think a lot of people don't know. And that is that there were Egyptians who joined the Israelites in the Exodus. 
If you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, the Bible says the Israelites traveled, about 600,000 soldiers on foot beside their families. Now look at verse 38. An ethnically diverse crowd also went with them. So there were people who were Egyptians who wound up going with the people of Israel. And you and I know how that happened. Because again, it wasn't like God said to Moses, if you're an Israelite, you can leave. There was another test. The test was, had to do with the Passover. Remember there was a lamb that was to be slain. It was to be eaten as part of a meal before they left. And then God didn't say, you know, I'll take this group and not take this group. He just said, if the blood is on the doorpost, the death angel will pass over the house. Let's look at verse 13 of Exodus 12. The blood on the houses will show me where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the fact that there, were, there was an ethnically diverse group that went with the Israelites, it tells me that there were Israelites who had friends who were Egyptian. Maybe somebody had an Egyptian doctor and they set up an appointment with her and said, hey, I just want to tell you what's about to go down. You know these things that have been happening, the frogs and the lice and hailstorm and all that kind of thing. It's all part of what God's doing and there's going to be a really tough thing tonight. So here's what you need to do. I mean, maybe there were people who had next door neighbors that they loved and they said, you know what? These are not the people forcing us to build the pyramids. They're just our best friends. And they went to them and said, here's what you need to do if you want to go with us. Well, hold on to that for a moment because we're about to read a whole chapter and what we're about to read is a great example of this 40 years later. If you have a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read almost a whole chapter today. And if you have a Bible app, fire it up and turn to Joshua chapter 2. So let's read. And I want you to look for three lines that this entire short message is going to be built around. Okay, here we go. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on either side or on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Nothing sexual here. Houses of prostitution also doubled as hotels or hostels or beds and breakfast or whatever you want to call it. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, they were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. They went that away, she said. That's not in there. I just made that up. Verse 6, actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing to the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of the city of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. Here's line one. For we have heard... Just file that away. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. 
Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father, my mother, brothers, sisters, and all their families. Verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promises, our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they've returned, you can go out and go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must, here's line two, leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we're not bound by the oath in any way. And now the third line, my favorite line from the chapter, I accept your terms. Well, you read what I read. You saw what I saw. Joshua now sends two spies over to check out the land. I always find that humorous because 40 years before, Joshua, Moses had sent out 12 spies. He had to be politically correct. And two of them came back and said, we can take the land. Ten of them came back and discouraged everybody, which is why they went around in the wilderness punching holes in the ground until a whole generation of people died off. So Joshua said, I don't need 12 spies. I just need two good ones. And it wasn't to see whether they should go into the land. It was just a reconnaissance mission. Well, they wound up, as we saw in the text, uh, getting lodging in the house of a prostitute. Now, two things quickly, as I've already said first, these were often places like beds and breakfasts where people stayed overnight. So there's nothing sexual going on here. There's also a reason why that made sense strategically, because the house of someone like Rahab would be a house where strange men would go in and out of without having any reason to go in. But secondly, the Bible tells us that her house was in the wall. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to Jonathan's message from last week, first of all, you need it because it's a phenomenal message. But also, he talked about the city of Jericho. It was the most powerful city in the world. That's why the spies were going over to do strategic work because nobody had ever been able to take Canaan because nobody had ever been able to take Jericho. Well, anyway... The spies are in Rahab's house, and they might have thought they were going to get by okay, but you read what I read, how that the king was told that there are a couple of spies here, and they're in Rahab's house. And so here come the soldiers banging on the door saying, bring out the spies who are here. And I'm sure that they looked at each other and said, we are dead now because there's no way in this world that this woman is going to risk her life to protect two guys that she doesn't know. But then things turned really interesting. Because you, you saw what I saw. Rahab said they went that away. I mean, here is a woman. She's a prostitute. We're told history or tradition says she's one of the four most beautiful women in the world. She basically covers for the spies. And the spies must have looked at each other like, what's going on here? But whatever their curiosity was, it got satisfied that evening because the Bible says that before the spies went to sleep, Rahab stole up the stairs to the top of the house and shared some things with the spies. And she said three little words that must have blown their minds. She said, we have heard. We have heard. And it wasn't, we have heard some things about what's happened with you. 
She, she wasn't saying, we've heard that you guys are a really strong team. We've, we've heard that you're ranked number one in the team rankings. It wasn't, she didn't say, we have heard that you got the most powerful army in the world. Listen to her language. She said, we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. Now that is mind blowing because that happened 40 years before. Remember the 10 spies that came back and discouraged everybody? They said, the people over there are too strong for us. We look like grasshoppers to them. And in all that time, the people in Canaan were like hearing, you know what? If their God can open up a sea and bring them across and close it and kill an Egyptian army, then what are we against him? And see, Rahab wasn't even alive when this happened. She hadn't even been born yet. But the story of what had happened with the Israelites was reverberating through the town. Now, here's what's really significant to me, New Spring. This is where it starts getting interesting for you and me in 2022. Jericho was part of Canaan. They were polytheistic. They worshiped pagan gods. They worshiped demons. And yet look at what Rahab said based on what she'd heard about God. She said, the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She didn't know him yet, but she had already made a decision about him. As those of you who know the Lord understand, faith was arising in her heart. Now, this is where our story gets really into our lives. Imagine what Rahab's words, imagine the dent that Rahab's words made in these spies' prejudices. Because see, she lived in Jericho. As I said a moment ago, it was a wicked pagan city. God was gonna destroy Jericho. The spies knew God was gonna destroy Jericho, didn't know how yet, but they understood that Jericho's walls were gonna come down. And to their knowledge, this woman knew absolutely nothing about the true God. She didn't grow up like they grew up learning about God. And beyond that, she made her living doing, you know. I mean, to these guys, Rahab was just part of the background. She was just the person that they had to rent the room from for the night. She was just background noise. But all of a sudden, everything they had prejudged her for turned out to be wrong. New Spring, now I'm talking to us. This is not Israel and Canaan. This is you and me in 2022. We should never assume somebody doesn't want to know about our Jesus just because they're not traveling with us. See, that's the thing. I have never seen silos like I see them today. And I understand there's a very toxic culture out of there, but there's a sort of fortress mentality in the minds of a lot of Christians. If somebody has a different politics, a body of politics, if people have, a, they're part of a different group, there's this idea they're on the outside and I'm on the inside. Even if somebody tells you, I don't even believe in God, that doesn't tell us what God is doing in that person's life. See, here's the problem that so many of us have. We have faith, those of us who know God and through his son, Jesus Christ. We oftentimes want to look at people who believe the same thing that we believe. And there's a place for fellowship. But oftentimes we, we push away people that we feel like are on the outside. And here's what we forget. We can't expect somebody to live a life with God until they start a life with God. And if they haven't started that life with God yet, they're not going to live the life yet. We just need to be aware of the fact that God might be doing something in that person's heart and life. Part of the blessing of being an old man like I am, 
I've pastored for a lot of years and I've heard a lot of stories and I'll tell you what I've heard. I've heard people that said I was agnostic, I was an atheist and I told everybody I didn't believe in God but when they started sharing their faith journey with me, it was clear that God was working in their lives when the people around them didn't know that he was. This, see, here's the thing. There are people that you and I should invite to concert in the park. But we're like, well, she just wouldn't be interested. She doesn't believe in God. She's part of a different religion. We just don't know what God is doing in their hearts. See, God was making himself real. I mean, here's Rahab. She's a Canaanite. She's part of Jericho that God's going to destroy. She is a prostitute, but God is making himself real in her heart. And the spies don't know that. And it all started with one line, we have heard. Why do I keep coming back to that? Because the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our job is not to bring faith up in somebody's life. Our job is to talk about God, talk about Jesus Christ. You say, Mark, somebody could ask me a question I can't answer. That gets done to me every day of the week. There are just a lot of questions we don't know the answer to, but I'll tell you what I do know. I do know that God has worked in my life. I, I asked Austin to add miracle power to our worship uh, service this week because, see, I know about that miracle power. I've watched God do miracles in my life, and I may not know all the answers in the Bible. There's so many things about creation and prophecy that I don't understand, but I know that Jesus is alive in my life, and I can share him with somebody else, and it could be that when I share what Jesus has done in my life, that faith will arise in the heart of somebody who doesn't know God yet. God help us as Christ followers to get out of our seats and stand up and share the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, it is historically amazing how little sometimes a person has to hear before they begin to be open to God. Stephen was sharing a story with me. In 1999, there was a missionary who went to Cambodia. And those of you who remember Southeast Asia from the 70s and 80s, you know that it was a very troubled part of the world. But in 1999, a missionary went to Cambodia and he began to share the gospel from village to village and most villages said no to him because they already have multiple belief systems. But this particular missionary got to one community and to his utter amazement, it was like the whole community responded to the message and came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was so different that he began to ask around what is different about this community. An elderly lady knew the answer. She pulled the missionary inside and said, 20 years ago when the Khmer Rouge who was the communist, they were the communist uh, terrorist who took over Cambodia. They were brutal, I mean, extraordinarily brutal. And one of the things that they did, they would go into a village and they would execute the people in the village, but they would force them to dig their own graves before they would execute them. And the Khmer Rouge had come to this village 20 years before and they had said, we're gonna execute the people here and we're forcing them to dig, dig their graves. And while they were digging the graves, the people began to call out to their gods. Many were Buddhist, others worshiped demons, and they began to scream for help. But they, were, they understood they were going to die in just a few moments. But there was a little girl in that village, this elderly lady told this missionary. There was a little, and we don't know how she heard. Maybe it was a missionary who had come to talk to her grandmother or mother. But there was a little girl in the community had heard about a God who hung on a cross. And she thought as she prayed that day as the graves were being dug, maybe that is the God I should pray to. Because if there was a God who hung on a cross, then he would understand suffering and he would understand what we're going through. And this little girl began to pray, not knowing who he was, to the God who hung on a cross. And as the people dug the graves, they, were, they just began to cry. They quit crying out and calling on their gods. 
they just cried softly waiting for the guns to fire, but the guns never fired. And when they turned around, the Khmer Rouge had just quietly walked away. And everybody remembered because there was a little girl who prayed to the God who hung on a cross. 20 years later, when the missionaries showed up and told them about Jesus, they said, we've been waiting on you for 20 years. We've been waiting for somebody to tell us who the God was who hung on a cross. Do we understand? Here's the thing. You don't have to explain everything in the Bible. Just tell people about Jesus. We have heard Rahab said. We've heard this. Now, somebody, and I know I can be a little skeptical, and so those of you who are a little more cynical in personality, you could be asking a question. You'd be asking the question I'm asking, and that's the question that goes like this. Rahab said, we have heard. So somebody could say, well, Mark, if the whole town had heard about this, why was Rahab the only one who expressed faith? Now, that's a really interesting question because it gets right to the heart of those of us who are on this campus today, those of us watching on television and online. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says this, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. It terrifies me and causes chills to run up and down my spine when I think about this, but some of you are hearing the message, you will not go to heaven today. You'll be in hell. I pray not hardly many. But there are those here today, and you know what? It's just, it's just like background noise. Go through this and get to the game. You're going to hear the gospel today. You're going to hear the gospel that could save your soul. You're going to hear the gospel that could transform your life. And the person sitting next to you is going to be a different person when she walks out of here. But you know what? You're not going to be different because to you, you hear the word of God, but it's not mixed with faith. And that's what happened with Rahab. That's what made her different. See, when she heard the word, when she heard about God, it was mixed with faith. Faith was rising in her. And because of that, she said to the spies, I want to be rescued. I want to be saved. I don't want to die in judgment like everybody else. I want to join the team. And the way she said it really is kind of like you and me when we asked Jesus to come into our lives. She said, I want, give me some guarantee. Give me some guarantee that I will live. Isn't that what we ask God? I want some guarantee. Now, here's where this gets interesting to me. Because see, at this moment, uh, the spies being Israelites, you, okay, just work with me for a second. Think about, put yourself in their place. They're being asked by a resident of Jericho, a pagan Canaanite, who is a prostitute, and this prostitute is saying, I wanna join your team. Now think for a moment about what they could have said. They could have just said, look, we're spies, we're busy, we don't have time for this. Because see, that's what a lot of Christians say, we don't verbalize it, but there are people that work beside us, they're in the same cubicle that we're in, they, people that we've worked with for years, family members, and you could tell them about Jesus, but it's like, I'm very busy. Or, or they could have said, we're sorry, you're not part of the chosen group. We're Israelites, you're Canaanite, too bad for you. You know, we're Catholic, you're not. We're Baptist, you're not. Or they could have said, when, when Rahab said, I want to join your team, they could have said, are you kidding me? I mean, you're Canaanite, you're, 
And on top of that, look at what you do for a living. I mean, you're the, people like you are the reason why God is going to destroy this city. You're a prostitute. Are you kidding us? You want to join our team? Your past disqualifies you. Or they could have just taken their book of the laws, blown the dust off of it if they were like some of us. And they could have said, okay, now you're a Canaanite. You want to be an Israelite? Okay, you got to eat these foods. You can't eat these fo foods. You, you know, you, you, you've got to worship on this day. And here are 600 laws that you have to obey. We don't know when God's going to destroy the city. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's next week. We can't offer any guarantees. Just do the best you can with the religion. See if there's any hope. <laughs> no. And there's so much that I hope that God kept on video because I want to watch this discussion because the spies are not ready for this conversation. I mean, they're there to do rec reconnaissance on the city of Jericho and all of a sudden this prostitute who owns the place that they're staying in comes to them and says, we want to join your team. So I want to hear the conversation between the two of them. Um, yeah, one of them's like, you know, this, this thing about God destroying Jericho that's kind of, you know, we, we weren't even born yet, but we've heard the story about the Passover and God, you know, the death angel coming through uh, Egypt and, and death of the firstborn if there wasn't the blood on the doorpost. And this is kind of like that, but we can't really put blood on the outside of the house here because that would call everybody's attention to it. And they're like, what are we going to do? And I hear one of the spies say, you got anything red here? And we can't put blood there, but you got anything red? I'm going to admit to you right now, I am way out in front of my headlights and I can't prove this and I don't even know this. See, I have this, I have this fear that when I get to heaven, the Lord is going to invite all of you in, take you right on to the beauties of heaven, but I'm going to have to go to the side room and God's going to say, Mark, before you can go into heaven, we need to talk. And really, we need to play some of your old messages. <laughs> and the angels are going to freeze it at certain points. And I'm going to explain to you, no, the Bible does not say that. So <laughs> I think about it. So, I'm just telling you ahead of time, this is one of those things. But for years, for centuries, one of the visible emblems that is part of the culture of a place of prostitution is that there would be a scarlet cord at the front of the place where a visitor to the house of prostitution would announce his presence. And I think about the fact that the spies said, hang, a scar hang the scarlet cord. Was it their way of saying, you're not the person that you used to be? Take the symbol of your old life. Take it from its place because that's not who you are anymore and hang it outside the window because now it has become a symbol of your salvation. I don't know that. It's pretty good. If we get to heaven, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll come find you and I'll apologize to you. <laughs> See, the word of God tells us that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're not the person that you used to be. You saw a baptism a few moments ago. The, the picture of baptism means the old person is dead and buried, but the new person has risen. And so here's the deal. All of us here today, we could talk about what we used to be, but we're not what we used to be anymore. I mean, we're on the journey and we still have a long way to go. and We're still dealing with sins in our lives. 
As someone said, I'm, I'm not what I'm gonna be, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And so the second line of our talk, they said, you have to leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window. Now, two things jump off the page to me here. And here is the first one. And this is for us. It's grace. There is nothing here about her undoing her past. She can't. There is nothing here about her paying for what she's done wrong. She can't. There is nothing here about her joining a religion. She can't. It is all about grace. Just hang this scarlet rope from the window. See the scarlet rope here. The red is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's how we get into the family of God. We don't get into the family of God by undoing what we can't undo. We get into the family of God by accepting Jesus Christ by faith and his blood that was shed to cover our sins. That's the first thing. The word of God says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, like this, according to the riches of his grace, see. See, some of us worry that we can't go to heaven because we don't think there's enough in us to get there. There's not. I'm not going to heaven because the riches of Mark Hoover's good works. I'm going to heaven because of the riches of his grace. That's why. If I'm talking to anybody here today and if someone were to ask you, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And you say, I think I'm a pretty good person. I love you very much. I love you more than I can say, but you are dead in the water because you don't have enough good works. You can never have a good enough, enough good works to offset one sin. And that leads me to the second thing that jumps off the page here. There was only one way. They didn't say to Rahab, okay, there are about five different things you can do here. You can join the Baptist church or the Catholic church or the Methodist church or, or this religion or that religion. They just said, hang the scarlet rope. And Rahab could have said, I just don't think that's what I want to do. And folks, there's no getting around this. <laughs> there was a contemporary artist in the early days of contemporary Christian music named Carmen. He's with the Lord now, but Carmen used to have a song that said it's tight, but it's right. And that's the way, the way to heaven is. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we, may, we must be saved. And there are those who would say, well, Mark, I just don't think that's egalitarian enough. I think there have to be lots of ways to heaven. I love you enough to tell you that what you just basically did is you just told God the blood of his son Jesus means nothing. Zero. Because if there's some other way that's equivalent, that's equivalent in its effectiveness, then basically Jesus didn't need to die. But see, people don't think about that. It's just, this is what feels right. And I'm sure there were a lot of things that felt right in Rahab's culture, but she was asking, I want to be saved. I want to be delivered. And they said, there's one way here, and that's to hang the scarlet rope. I mean, here's the deal. God has made a way that anybody can access. You don't have to be part of a particular religion. No, your race does not matter. Your background does not. Not even the sins that you've committed matter in this regard. It's free. And that's God's way. The third line is my favorite line of this entire chapter. And that's when Rahab said, I accept your terms. See, that's where salvation begins. And we look to God and we say, God, I accept your terms. And his terms are easy terms. And she did. And the walls fell. 
And Rahab and everybody in her family joined the journey. Wasn't that a great story? I love that story. Don't you like that story? That's not the best part. Today, you and I live in a cancel culture. I mean, I, I so often hear people from this generation say, I don't judge anybody. This is the most judgmental culture in history. I mean, this is the most whacked, angry, nutcase, judgmental culture in the history of the world. Somebody can say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, man, just destroy them. They need to lose their jobs. You cannot be a Christ follower and be part of the cancel culture. You just can't. That's part of the antichrist culture. The world's headed for the tribulation. And that's antichrist stuff. And Jesus is all into forgiveness. I mean, here's the deal. You talk about somebody who could cancel God knows everything about me, knows everything I've ever thought or said. If God wanted to cancel any, in fact, I was born canceled. <laughs> and so were you. But God loved you. I mean, how can we cancel somebody else when God has forgiven us? Well, one thing we know in 2022, there's no limit to how far a person can fall if they and by the way, our, our culture tends to be, you're canceled unless you agree with me on everything. The message of our world is there's no limit to how far you can fall if you make us unhappy. If you're holding a Bible in your lap, the message of your Bible is there's no limit to how high you can rise if you will accept God's terms. Well, the last time we saw Rahab, you know, the city was being destroyed and she was rescued, but that's not where the story ends. Rahab joined the journey along with her family, moved to Canaan, moved to the promised land and married a guy by the name of Salmon. We believe that Salmon was one of the two spies. Now that's an interesting thing. Again, I'm out in front of my skis, but I just kind of think I know how this happened. It is said Rahab was one of the four most beautiful women in the world. And I'm guessing after they got over to Canaan, it went down something like this. Simon came over to the house one time and said, Rahab, we're just so glad to have you on the journey with us. And, uh, you know, if you would ever like for me to just come over and talk to you about some of the things that we believe, you need some help adjusting to the culture, I'll come over and we'll talk. And they started dating, got married, started raising a family. And then that's when things got real interesting. I don't see this much anymore, but when I was a little boy, I heard stories about the society, high society blue book. These are people that have blue blood. These are people that came from, they were elite people because of their birth. They were part of the Mayflower Society, or they were part of some group that could trace their ancestry back to the heroes of the American Revolution, and all their descendants were in this blue book of high society. They were not nouveau riche. Well, the Bible has a blue book of high society. It's in Matthew chapter 1. These are the people that are in the ancestral lineage of Jesus. And when you open that blue book, that high society blue book in Matthew chapter 1, you start seeing names and you're not surprised to see Abraham there. I mean, he's high society. King David, King Hezekiah, 
all those kings. That's high society. But in this high society blue book, there are four women mentioned. And we would think these would be extraordinary women. Well, as we look down through, look at this name right here. It's the Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab was a great, 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 great grandmother of King David. And if you go 11 verses later, you'll find the name Jesus Christ. Because see, there's no, high, there's no limit to how high you can rise when you accept God's terms. Gets even better. I remember I used to speak in Canton, Ohio a whole lot. There's not a lot to do in Canton, Ohio, I guess. But uh, when I have night services, it happens to me even to this time, the leaders of the church will say, is there anything you'd like to do in our town in the afternoon? Anything you'd like to see? Well, I grew up a fan of the National Football League. And the National Football League Hall of Fame is in Canton, Ohio. I hate to admit it, but I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Now, have pity on me. I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's what did it to me. I do not want to be a Dallas Cowboy fan. <laughs> if somebody has a 12-step program where I can be delivered from that, I would gladly sign up. I can't even bear to watch the game tonight because I know what's going to happen. But I remember the first time, this has been probably 25 years ago, I said, yeah, I would like to go to the National Football Hall of Fame. And it's right there in Canton, Ohio. And there are the busts, there are the statues of the people that changed the game. These, there are a lot of great players who have never been in the Hall of Fame, but these are game changers. And I remember walking down through the Hall of Fame and looking at different busts. There's Vince Lombardi. Hey, the Super Bowl trophy's named after him. And then there was the bust I really wanted to see with the fedora hat, Tom Landry and Roger Staubach, and Reggie White, the Minister of Defense. And I'll walk through that gallery looking at all these legends who changed the game. In the Bible, there's a Hall of Fame. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. And you read it, it's like walking through a gallery of the Hall of Fame, and there are different, there are different heroes there. And we're not, again, we're not surprised to see Noah there. Noah built the ark, and Abraham is there, Sarah's there, David, King David, Samuel. Daniel didn't even get his name in there, just an honorable mention. Daniel can't even get his name in there, one of the greatest people who ever lived. But while we're walking through the exhibits, recognizing the statues that we expect to be there, all of a sudden we look down the hall and there's a statue we don't recognize. There's a statue of a beautiful woman with long flowing hair. And we're like, who in the world is this? And we walk over there because we want to look at the nameplate. And guess what we see on the nameplate? The Bible says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab made the hall of fame. Because see, there's no limit to how high you can rise if you will accept God's terms. Two things. Number one, if you're a Christ follower, get busy. Get busy. You don't know who a God is building faith. That person that told you they would never want anything to do with your God, you don't know what God is saying to them. And number two, I think there are two groups of people here today that I especially want this message to resonate with. I could be talking to somebody here today and say, Mark, I'm not particularly religious. Really, I've never gone to church very much, but I got a friend who's a New Springer and says your church is a little different. And we're actually, we're very different, aren't we? Uh, maybe to a fault. <laughs> but you're like, I just don't know 
I mean, if this gig could ever be for me. There's somebody else I want to talk to. I want to talk to somebody that maybe grew up in church. And you've learned a lot about God. And you've been to Bible studies and read books and listened to music. But to be honest, it's pretty well like this. And you come in here to worship and you're wishing that you could feel what somebody else is feeling. But there's nothing. There has never been anything. in you. And the problem with you is you have learned the jargon. You've learned the culture. You might even be able to teach the culture. But you've never come like Rahab as a broken sinner to God and say, I want to be rescued and I accept your terms. I accept your terms. Today can be that day. You don't have to walk out of here like you've walked out of church so many times before. But you will have to humble yourself. You say, well, I think I'm a sinner, but not like Rahab. You know what? We're all sinners, and there's all something in our past that disqualifies us for heaven until Jesus comes. And so the scripture simply says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's free. It's grace. And it can happen in your heart and life right this moment, whether you're here or South Camp, or South Auditorium or watching online or watching on, on television, it can happen for you right this moment. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. And then if you'd like to pray this prayer with me, you can. These are not magic words. You can pray your own words. You don't have to pray out loud. You can just pray in your heart. Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. And I can't fix myself. But your word says that you love me. And I believe that. Your word says that Jesus died to pay for my sins. His blood was the price of my sin. And I believe that. Your word says that three days later, Jesus arose from the grave. I may not understand, but I believe that. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Give me the strength to turn and live a different life. I accept your terms. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, whether you're on campus, off campus, I have a gift I want to give you. If you just prayed, all you have to do is take out your phone and text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-A-D to 97,000. In this box, total gift, a new spring Bible, a book that I wrote called My New Walk with God. There's a journal and some other cool things in it. So just text pray to 97,000. And if you're on television or if you're watching online, just follow the steps and we'll mail this to you. If you're here today, you don't have to wait. You, you can get this before you walk off the campus. Just go to any info center. You'll recognize them by this coloration. Just go back and say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number. They just want to give you this. And you can take it home with you today. You can start the trip. Come go with us. God bless you. Thank you. We'll see you next weekend.
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.